Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The family of the man allegedly murdered by OnlyFans model Courtney Clenny has strong words for this accused killer. Attorney, former prosecutor, and retired judge Fanon Rucker comes on to discuss the latest in the case that many across the country are following. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law and Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. Let's talk Courtney Clenny. So this is a story that has been getting a lot of attention, I think, for a lot of different factors. And just for those of you who are not so familiar with this, she is the OnlyFans model who was accused of stabbing to death her boyfriend, Christian Obamselli, in his Miami, Florida apartment back in April. And while this did happen then, she was charged with second-degree murder just last week. And her defense attorneys told the media that Clenny was acting in self-defense. That has always been the theory that has been put forward. That's what she initially told law enforcement. But in video that was released by the state attorney's office of this OnlyFans model, Ann Obincelli, this is from back in February, you can arguably see her attacking him, that she is the one who is the primary aggressor, at least at that moment. And so it raises questions as to what actually happened between the two. Well, what we do know is that Clenny was arrested out in Ohio, excuse me, out in Hawaii, and she was currently uh, awaiting extradition to Florida. We believe that she was in a rehab center out in Hawaii when she was apprehended. And she has waived extradition, meaning that she will come back to Miami, Florida to ultimately uh, respond to this case. Now, Obamselli's family is speaking up. And this is where things take an interesting turn. So the Obamselli family uh, attorney, Larry Hanfeld, he tells TMZ that uh, Christian's family is happy that Courtney Clenny was recently charged with second degree murder because a conviction could result in a life sentence. So they are looking for a life sentence here. I want to bring on somebody who's an expert in this area to talk about what could actually happen to Courtney Clenny, but also all of the circumstances surrounding this uh, this really, really horrific stabbing. So joining me right now is attorney, former prosecutor, and retired Judge Fanon Rucker. Judge, great to see you. Jesse, thanks so much for having me on, and, and I appreciate this opportunity. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. So I want to start right now with, let's say this goes to trial. Let's say she's convicted. Can she face a life sentence? Because I'm a little confused. With second-degree murder, that is not automatically a life sentence, if I'm understanding that correctly, uh, based on Florida law. Is there a range? Are there options here by which a judge could ultimately determine what the appropriate punishment would be? There are. And, you know, different states have different ranges, different degrees, different classifications of these offenses. In Florida, a first degree uh, uh, murder would have a, a definite term of life. But we're talking about, you know, something less than that definite. So we're talking 25 to life as a potential. We're talking about a range that could go from, you know, the bottom of a pretty serious sentence 
all the way to the most serious. Obviously, they're not discussing anything about a, a death penalty because those circumstances aren't on the table. But it sounds like um, because of the degree of murder that there is a range of most likely 25 to life that's on the table as a potential. And support for Sidebar is brought to you by Manscaped, which is the go-to line for men's grooming products. They are blowing up right now. I'm not really surprised by that. Give you an idea, we have to talk about the Performance Package 4.0. It is an amazing bundle. You start with the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. It has a ceramic blade and advanced skin-safe technology. It is going to reduce the risk of grooming accidents and ingrown hairs, which, guys, I don't even have to tell you. We all know that's our number one fear with grooming, right? Nobody wants that pain. But not only that, the trimmer's waterproof and has a 4,000K LED spotlight. You're going to be like a scientist up in there. And don't forget, the Crop Preserver Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, you are also going to feel incredibly fresh down there as well. But let's go a little bit higher. We got to go to the nose. We can't forget the nose. The Weed Whacker, and that utilizes the proprietary skin-safe technology that will reduce nicks, snags, tugs, which nobody wants. But Manscaped, they're not going to stop there. They love you so much, they decided to throw in some free gifts, including boxers and a travel bag. So you might be saying, Jesse, how do I get the Performance Package 4.0? Here is the best part. You go to manscaped.com. You use the promo code SIDEBAR. You will get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. 20% off free worldwide shipping if you use the promo code SIDEBAR. You'll be joining the over 6 million men across the planet that use and trust Manscaped. So you should get ready to look and feel great. Based purely on the circumstances that we know right now in this case, and obviously more will develop as the investigation furthers and you know this case furthers, would this, if this was a case that was in front of you, would you feel that it meets the higher realm? I mean, we're, every time you're talking about somebody who is killed and murdered, you feel like the, it always deserves the maximum, but there are times that where we see someone who's sentenced to only 25 years. What factors here would you be looking at? Because uh, it, it's, it's a unique case. Well, whenever you're talking about sentencing, there's two factors on, on the sides of the scales that you look at. You look at aggravating factors or circumstances, and you look at mitigating circumstances and factors. And those factors, whether they're aggravating or mitigating, help to establish the sentence. So aggravating factors on something like this is that um, she murdered him in what looked like a very heinous way. It looked like she may have been, by virtue of the fact she went to rehab immediately after this, actually dipped out of the, uh, of the state's um, took off running, arguably as a fugitive, and, and into rehab. That it could have been fueled by some substance abuse, um, you know, uh, incendiary uh, uh, rage. It looks like it, it was unprovoked. So, so those are aggravating factors that could increase the range or likelihood of the sentence. On the other side of the mitigating, their argument is it was self-defense, which is not only a mitigating circumstance but it's an absolute defense to the crime that she's charged with, that she was in fear of her own personal safety, either serious injury or death. Um, that would be, a, a and, and if there's some circumstance which meant it was a long range argument of her self-defense, 
it might be mitigating because she was in an abusive relationship and she couldn't didn't feel like she could leave. So even though in that moment there wasn't the need to use deadly force, her her mentally uh, her mental uh, process required her to use something um, very physically offensive in order to escape. That would be a mitigating circumstance. So there's a lot of things that could be considered aggravating or mitigating to help to define what that range is from 25 to life, if that's the actual range. It's interesting you mentioned that because Frank Prieto, who's Courtney Clenny's attorney, he told TMZ, quote, although the state attorney by law must consider the wishes of the next of kin in a criminal case, those wishes often have to give way to more reasonable minds. While we understand the family is grieving the loss of Mr. Obamselli and they want justice, justice in this matter will be the acquittal of Courtney on all charges. The way I interpret that is he's basically saying, number one, don't automatically think this is going to be a life sentence if she's convicted. And number two, there's still a trial to go away. And so when you look at that statement, I mean, you're dealing with a situation that's a bit unique, right? You see someone murdered and she's not automatically arrested. They believed her at first that this was self-defense. And we'll get into the, you know, what envelope from the investigation, but that's a strong argument, I think, on the defense's point of view, that initially law enforcement believed her, and clearly Mr. Prieto thinks there's strong evidence on their side. That's right. And and what information did they receive that caused them to change their minds that they didn't have in the beginning? Who advocated or argued for this deceased uh, victim that caused the police to say, you know what, actually... We're going to make her prove self-defense as opposed to assuming that it exists based on what we have so far. That's an interesting question. Well, let's get into some of the evidence. This one alarms me the most, right? Apparently, there was a discrepancy in what she told law enforcement and what actually happened, right? So she told law enforcement that she had thrown the knife at her boyfriend when he was 10 feet away. But we know that based on the um, actual autopsy report um, that indicated what happened is that this was a forceful downward thrust of a knife uh, in a wound about three inches or eight centimeters deep in his chest. So the fact that that doesn't really line up with what she said. How is she going to argue that? I mean, how can she say, I told police I did that unless she's, I don't know, a trained um, assassin who can throw this at a hundred miles per hour and it goes right into his chest. It doesn't line up. So how can she argue that away and say, I was acting in self-defense or maybe she says, I wasn't being honest with police because I panicked. I wasn't thinking straight. You tell me how to make sense of that. Sure. I mean, how many times do we see, um, as as even here being argued that, yeah, my first statement to law enforcement wasn't honest because I was petrified. I was nervous. I mean, here is a, my, my dead boyfriend. Of course, they're going to assume that I killed him maliciously. I, 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 yeah, I lied. I said that I threw the knife at him because I didn't think anyone would believe me because I had a little bit to drink. I had some drugs in my system. I didn't think anybody would believe me if I told them the truth. So I made some up that unfortunately the evidence didn't support. That's not an uncommon strategy. Well, that's not a strategy. That's not a strategy. That's not an uncommon response to people being in some very, very difficult circumstances like this OnlyFans model finds herself in. I want to read you something that um, uh, Christian Obamselli's brother had said. Um, 
He shared a statement, uh, quote, despite the disregard and injustice my family experienced, the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office's arrest and charging of Courtney Clenny for the murder of, uh, of his brother on April 3rd, 2022 is progress. Her arrest, although delayed for 129 days, brings us one step closer to justice. The SAO's investigation supports what we've said from the beginning, that this was not an act of self-defense. Toby, meaning his brother, was a victim of domestic violence. He was unarmed when Clenny brutally stabbed him in the chest from behind. I was filled with heavy emotion after the report uncovered that Clenny spoke to her mother twice on the phone for over 13 minutes. As my brother bled out on the floor, she waited 13 minutes and to Toby a lifetime before she called 911. 13 whole minutes. Toby did not have to die. His killing warrants equal justice under the law. Few things to break down there. One, critical of the government. And two, that phone call. Again, uh, walk me through both what you think. Sure. Um, certainly understanding the, the family's position that there wasn't some more immediate action. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many, number one, even as a prosecutor, how many victims I, I dealt with or families of victims I dealt with. Even now in my civil practice, how many families of people who have been murdered or who have been victims of, of tragic circumstances, they want a response right now. They want it as immediately after it happens. But, you know, there needs to be and should be for the sanctity of the system and the process, a careful and deliberate examination of whatever evidence there is, because a rush to judgment or a rush to action often leads as we know, to acquittals and outcomes that the state doesn't want. And so understanding, you know, the statement about being critical about police, putting that aside, that 13 minutes, if, if I'm the prosecutor, I am, I am pounding the table on that de demonstrating several things. First of all, if I can get any medical evidence to suggest that he didn't die within that, you know, first minute, that that 13 minutes was a time when had she done something else, he could have been saved. His life could have been spared. And she was the one that had the opportunity to do that. And instead of her taking steps to call 911 when she did this by accident or didn't believe that she was planning to kill him, could have been 13 minutes to save his life. That's the first thing I'm pounding the table on. The second, and this is, you know, just as, just as important, why didn't she call 911 immediately during that same 13 minutes, two separate issues. What did you do in that 13 minutes that you could have done to save his life? Did you do chest compressions? Did you, did you reach out to an ambulance? But second of all, why didn't you call immediately when you felt your life was in danger or when you knew that your boyfriend was bleeding on the floor in the house that you always in? Two calls. She placed two calls to her mother. So one was six minutes, one was seven minutes. And then ultimately she then called 911. Um, and I guess the question becomes again, focusing back on the investigation, how do you let somebody go to Hawaii? I mean, again, her attorney had said that she had gone there for, for substance abuse issues. She had gone there for PTSD. She went to a rehab facility. But isn't it pretty – you can't find the records? I mean, I guess it takes some time to find the autopsy results to determine, you know, actually the, the, the cause of death and the manner of death and the circumstances surrounding it. The phone records, couldn't you find that pretty quickly? It just seemed like, what shouldn't there have been something to keep her around? And you're talking about a, a, a stabbing in April and an arrest and um, an arrest and, and charging so many months later in the summer. That is that typically how it works? 
Well, it's not unusual. I mean, we know there's years sometime between when they have an, an, an initial suspect in a crime and the time when some years later they receive some additional information and they end up charging that person who was originally a person of interest when they first started investigating the crime. Um, so, I, so I don't think it's unusual. But there are some other dynamics that have to be considered and examined here. Now, we know that um, historically, and really just, just by, by thought, women are not generally, although it's been changing, at least uh, by the time I was on the bench, it's been changing on the number of women who have been charged or who have been accused of some of these murders. Um, you know, there's a presumption when it comes to some of our court systems of the relative relationship between men and women in some of our courts and how we handle these. And so you have to believe that part of this was if a woman says, I was the victim of domestic violence and I did this in self-defense, that's probably going to be the initial thought that's believed until and unless there's some detective or again, some advocacy on behalf of the victim to say, wait a minute, you all need to look at this a different way and to continue to pound the table to change that stereotypical thinking that assumes that if a woman stabs or kills a man in a, a relationship, that it wasn't about domestic violence, that it was about self-defense. That's about a mind state that our country has, that our system possesses. And you have to believe that that probably played some role in how this developed in this particular case. And you saw the video, right? You saw the elevator video where the two of them are fighting. It's just from February. I, I'm curious what you make of it and whether it'll play a significant role here. I think it, what it on the outset did is it changed the narrative because you're seeing, at least from that video, Clenny being the primary aggressor. She's the one who starts hitting Obamseli. There is a part where he pushes her back. He's much bigger than her. And so the allegation is, is that he had abused her. She was defending herself. You could have a situation where both of them were abusive towards each other at different points in the relationship. And just to play devil's advocate here, how fair is it to look at that video from February and say, oh, well, if she did that in the elevator, clearly she's the one who uh, started the fight in April and stabbed him to death. I mean, maybe he, I don't think he was armed. And so it becomes a question, maybe that's exactly what happened, but are we cherry picking something that was caught on tape when there could have been a lot else that happened behind the scenes? Well, of course. And, and that's what we do as lawyers. We, we point out the good and we uh, disregard or try to um, limit the, the bad effects of evidence that's not in our favor. So both sides are going to use that, that elevator video, arguing it to their position. The state is going to argue to say, see, Here's the evidence that on this particular occasion, this was consistent with who she was and how she dealt with him. Watch this video. The defense is going to say, what you're seeing is the buildup. She was defending herself on this occasion because he had refused to let her leave this relationship. He was threatening her. He was abusing her. You just caught a glimpse of her trying to defend herself in a very um, uh, clumsy and unsuccessful way because of their size difference. I mean... I, yeah, both sides are going to exploit that elevator video for their own purposes. And it'll all it'll be up to the trier of fact to determine which one is more persuasive based on all of the evidence that's presented. And at this point, we believe that she waived extradition. So she's going to come back to Florida. This case will proceed and hopefully we'll be able to continue to cover it here on Sidebar. Uh, Judge Fanon Rucker, 
thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it as always. And I think this is your first appearance on Cyborg. It is. It is. And I hope well, not the last. It, well, I mean, hey, listen, my choice, I have you back on for all the cases. I really appreciate <laughs> it, Judge. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Jesse. And everyone out there, thanks so much for listening and watching to Sidebar. Uh, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Sidebar is produced by Sam Goldberg, YouTube manager Robert Zoki, and Alyssa Fisher as our booking producer. And of course, our video editor, Michael Deiniger. I'm Jesse Weber. We'll speak to you next time.